On today's episode of Locked On Canucks, we take a look at the player development changes the Canucks made today, what Bo Horvat's new contract may look like, and a game we will play called Yay or Nay on the current Canucks roster. It's Locked On Canucks, and it starts now. Locked On Canucks, your daily podcast on the Vancouver Canucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today, Monday, May the 30th episode of Locked On Canucks. I'm, of course, your host, Justin Pooney. You can find me at underscore process sports on Twitter. Please also like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I want to thank you all for listening and making Locked On Canucks your first listen of the day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast services. Today's Monday episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And today we will start off with the changes the Canucks made to their player development side of the organization where we talked about them last Monday, the biggest Canucks of all time, the greatest Canucks of all time, Henrik and Daniel Sedin were involved in those changes. So the Canucks announced today that they've added four people to their player development staff, including Henrik and Daniel Sedin. The other includes former Canucks winger and Sedin linemate, Michael Samuelson, and also former NHL defenseman, I'm sure all you will know, former Hab and Toronto Maple Leaf, Mike Komisarek. Of course, Henrik and Daniel Seam were hired to the Canucks front office last year as special advisors to GM Jim Benning, and they held on to those roles until now. Alvin said in the press release today that after spending a season gaining knowledge and experience with the club's hockey ops side, they will now transition to new roles working daily on ice, excuse me, working daily with ops. The Sedins are now going to be working daily on and off the ice with young players in Vancouver and Abbotsford. It's Monday, guys. I need an extra day for the long weekend, but you catch my drift. Well, Samuelson and Commissary will work with Canucks prospects throughout the organization. Assistant GM Cammy Granada will continue to oversee the entire player development department along with Senior Director of Player Development and Abbotsford Canuck General Manager, another former Canuck, Ryan Johnson. Chris Higgins is also staying on as Assistant Director of Player Development. And, of course, Samuelson played 145 games with the Canucks between 2009 and 2011, won a Stanley Cup in Detroit in 2008. Um, he was worked as a development coach with the Blackhawks, and he was also a general manager in the Swiss Hockey Alsvacken. Hopefully I said that right. In Sweden, of course, Commissar, as I mentioned, played the Canadians, the Leafs, the Hurricanes, and he was an assistant coach for the University of Michigan and was a player development coach in Buffalo. So my take on this is this is very good. It's very good because you are getting people who were successful being on in the NHL, commissary over 500 games, Samuelson, a Stanley Cup winner, the Sedins, the two greatest players uh, in Vancouver Canucks. You're getting a chance to work with young players on a daily basis. That is what um, I think is critical. Now, Many people might say, well, you know, the Sedins were so great that, um, you know, their expectations are higher and, you know, players might not be able to work. The whole wing, remember when Wayne Gretzky was coaching in Phoenix 
Um, and many people felt that, that um, you know, his greatness was so high that other players could never match it. I don't see that's the case. What was one of the things we always talked about the Sedins um, during their tenure? I know I talked about it last week. Their utmost professionalism, being the consummate pro, working hard, having the right work habits. To me, that is just as important as any skill you can have. If you have those type of people, those character individuals, Henrik and Daniel Sedin are working with players that you know are going to be in the minors, but you have high hopes for you know if the sedines are in constant communication with those young players on a daily basis that to me is the biggest win of all they're going to be teaching these young kids how to be a pro how to work on your game every day how to you know stay late come in early stay late that to me is bigger than any skill set because all these players now are skilled they have a very good baseline of skill and a high skill level compared to generation four it's just a whole cycle evolution look at any sport now all the athletes coming in now are bigger faster stronger more skilled but it's how they understand the pro game how they pick it up how they pick up those habits how they deal with back-to-backs long road trips practice different types of practice times how to deal with struggling in the pros how to being sit on the bench how to be sitting in the press box. All of that is important. Hendrix and Daniel Sedin have been through all those trials and tribulations. As we mentioned, as I mentioned before, it wasn't all roses when they first came into the league. They had to, they struggled. They had to go through adversity to get where they were, where they eventually became MVPs, a thousand point scores. It takes time. And to have a guy like Michael Samuelson, who, you know, has won a Stanley Cup, Mike Commissary was a physical defenseman, a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A very, he was a sturdy NHL defenseman, stay-at-home defenseman, but, you know, he has experience in the college game and he has experience in the pros. And that, to me, is the most important thing. Where you have people that, um, I feel that high, if you look at, like, to compare it to basketball, you know, you look at a guy like Jason Kidd, I was watching uh, the Dallas Mavericks postseason um, exit interviews. They all talked about how Jason Kidd had that player's vision who also could relate to the players on what it's like uh, from a coach standpoint. Sometimes when you have a coach and they've never done the same, they've never been through the same battles that you've been through as a player, it's hard to relate to them. But having players, you know, who play at the highest level, Henrik and Daniel Steen, having a guy, Mike Komasarek, who, you know, was a not a highly touted NHL player, but, you know, was a stay-at-home defenseman, had a, long, a very successful career for a period of time. Michael Samuelson, you know, with the, those great teams in Detroit with the Datsuks, the Zetterbergs, the Franzens, the Lidstroms, you know, under that um, just great system they had in Detroit for that 20-year span. Bringing in those type of people who have been in great cultures and great winning environments is key, you know. Henrik and Danielson were part of a great culture in Vancouver. Same with Samuelson. Samuelson, as I mentioned, was in Detroit. You have players that have those experiences that they can pass down that wisdom. To me, it's going to resonate more with younger players because they can be like, hey, well, Henrik and Danielson are the two greatest players in this franchise history. And they're spending time to talk to me about how to become successful within the same franchise. Oh, I better listen. So I think the Sedins, when they retired, I always took them to be guys that would be better off 
and the coaching aspect of it rather than the front office with the business side and the X. I always felt they're better with the X's and O's rather than being in the front office because they were players. Um, but learning under Jim Benning, if they actually ever learned under Jim Benning um, in the front office, I don't know if that was really the right route for them. But I'm very intrigued to see how they develop as coaches because, you know, coaching, just like teaching, it's very patience driven. I know for myself personally, I could never be a teacher. I have the greatest empathy for teachers because I have zero patience to teach anybody anything. Um, but I'm interested to see how Henrik and Daniel shift from coming from the front office and being an advisor to the GM and shift down to, um, you know, the grassroots level, the everyday, the day-to-day dealings with young players and, you know, um, building their confidence up. Because as we all know, with young athletes and young players, you know, confidence comes and goes. On one day, you're on the top of the mountain. You feel like you can do anything and nothing can go wrong. And the next day, you get humbled real quick. And that is something that having, you know, care high character individuals, having guys that, you know, have been at the top of the mountain, but have also have gone through struggles as well, is going to be so critical because that is how you learn. So all in all, the moves the Canucks made in their player development side, I love that Cammy Granato is ahead of it. Um, one of the greatest women's players of all time. She knows um, how to have a successful development. Um, Ryan Johnson's done a nice job with, you know, the Canucks farm system as well. Chris Higgins, you know, again, a part of a great culture in that Vancouver time, also with this time in Montreal and New York, you know, being a part of, you know, successful organizations during that time. And then, of course, Michael Samuelson and Mike Komisarek. I think they're putting people, what I'm noticing with the Canucks right now is they're putting people that have ability to, you know, resonate with other players is important. And that right there is a win. And I think that this is a true sign of how they're building their organization. And I, um, you know, you're seeing this organization, their skeleton and their spine, the stuff that I've talked about, their organizational structure takes shape and they're putting, I believe, people in the positions that they should be in. Henrik and Daniel Sedin, in my opinion, should never be in the front office. They should be in a position where they are influencing young players and coaching young players up on a day-to-day basis. And that is the position they are in now. So I am in total in agreement with this new uh, player development change up. And I think it's for the best. Um, And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how when we start seeing these new young prospects come up or these new young players, for example, Vasily Podkolzin, um, Niels Hoaglander, whoever, just getting the experience to work with Henrik and Daniel Sino on a daily basis, seeing how that develops their game and seeing how over the course of next year, how their game grows and how, they get better. I think when you learn from people that have had greatness and you have people that are surrounding your organization that have been great and have been through the battles, it's only going to make your young players better. It's only going to make them learn more. So definitely, definitely a win for the Vancouver Canucks today. And I'm excited to see uh, what the official rules are and what, you know, whatever the press conference is or whatever the next media is. And I want to learn exactly how Henrik and Daniel are going to combat this new day-to-day role they have with the organization so definitely exciting news on the canuck side on that uh but coming up after this break uh we're going to talk about bo horvat and what a potential new contract for him is going to look like but first i want to talk to you guys of course about bet online my partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest odds news and sports developments including this year's basketball playoffs 
Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting, wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, as I just mentioned, Bo Horvat, I've been talking about a nauseam actually, um, this entire offseason is Bo Horvat in need of a new contract. He's got one year left on his deal. And I'm going to give you some projection of where I think, because as I said last week, I'm absolutely 99% certain that Bo Horvat is going to sign a new deal. He's going to be with the Canucks for the extended future of his career. And I believe he will retire as a Canuck because he is the captain, the leader, the face of the franchise, whether you want to say it one of the faces of the franchise. Um, so I definitely think that Bo Horvat is going to sign on the dotted line. Jim Rutherford has said he wants Bo Horvat back. He was a little bit hesitant to talk about JT Miller last week. So um, when looking at Bo Horvat's um, contract and what it's going to look like, he's been here for nine years. You know, he's the ninth overall pick in 2013. Um, he's been good, very good, but never really been the Great. This year, you know, he broke the 30 goal mark for the first time in his career. And I think with Horvat, he is never going to wow you and put up the gaudy numbers, but he's going to do everything well and everything solid, right? There are 21 centers last year in the NHL who scored 30 or more goals. Canucks had two with Pedersen and Horvat. So I think when you look at this roster and how it shakes down is you have whether Miller stays or not, you have your number one center in Elias Pettersson. Bo Horvat will slot into your number two centerman spot. And I think that's where he fits best because he can take a little bit of a lesser role offensively, but also maintain the um, assignment of go, uh, checking the opposing team's number one line. So, for example, Edmonton, you know, you're looking at the McDavid dry side of line, Calgary, the, well, if he stays, Johnny Goodrow line. With Matthew Kachuk and Elias Lindholm. Um, you know, you got the LA Kopitar line, um, you know, Anaheim, whatever, whatever the first line is, the Canucks will go up against. You know, the Horvat line will get that assignment most of the time because of his ability to play a 200 foot game. Um, so when you're looking at it breaking down, you look at the, the comparables. Now, I'm not saying Bo Horvat is this guy, but Bo Horvat plays a similar game, in my opinion to Ryan O'Reilly. Now, Ryan O'Reilly is, of course, a Stanley Cup winner, a Conn Smythe winner, um, and I believe that he is, you know, the epitome of what a 200-foot center is. Um, Ryan O'Reilly makes $7.5 million a year. So, I do I think Bo Horvat is going to make 700, um, 700... Did I say 700 million? Yeah, sorry. Ryan O'Reilly makes $7.5 million a year. Um, I don't see Bo Horvat making $7.5 million um, a year. But what I do see um, is him fitting, maybe signing a deal similar to what Ryan Nugent Hopkins signed with Edmonton this past offseason. Eight years, $41 million. Now, do I think the Canucks will hand Horvat an eight-year deal? No. But would they rather go a bit of a longer-term deal and lower the cap hit? And to keep the guarantees around the same uh, rather than doing a shorter term deal with a higher AAV. Um, I think Horvat wants to stay in Vancouver. You know, he's a big part of the community, a big part of what the Canucks have been building. 
Um, and I believe that Hor- Bo Horvat um, is the type of guy to take a hometown sort of discount to help the roster build more. Now, by no means does Bo Horvat owe the Canucks anything and have to take a hometown discount. As I've said before, I believe players um, have such a short, finite time to maximize their profit, maximize their career earnings, and build that generational wealth um, for their families and help their families for the success. So if Bo Horvat wants to get paid market value, by all means, if he becomes a free agent next year and has another good year, I mean, he could sign for over six 6.5, some maybe 7 million, some teams might offer him if he scores another 30 goals this year. Now, for me personally, I believe that Horvat will get a bump up. I think he's going to somewhere slot into the, he's not going to make more than Pedersen. Um, I think you're going to see Pedersen Hughes at the top of the Canucks internal cap structure. Um, unless JT Miller breaks that, which he might, he might get the 7.5, but I don't see uh, the Canucks going past 7.5 for uh, their internal cap structure right now. So do I see Horvat potentially getting, you know, 6.5, 6.25, right? You know, he's at 5.5 right now. So I can see him getting a slight bump up to six, maybe 6.5, 6.25 um, for a, you know, a five-year deal, maybe a six-year deal. Um, or, you know, he does go the Nugent Hopkins route where you know, maybe they do give him a seven-year deal, but they bump it down and keep it the same at 5.5 which wouldn't be bad at all. If they can keep Horvat at the same number of 5.5 for seven years, that would be very good. But more likely, potentially, probably be a four- to five-year deal um, worth $6.5 million per, uh, probably a full no-trade clause because he is the captain, or maybe a modified mo- no-move clause where he has a list or something like that. So essentially, the crux of this thing is Bo Horvat is here to stay. Bo Horvat is going to be a Canuck. He is going to be a Canuck for the long haul, but it just depends on how the Canucks want to go about it. Do they want to offer him a longer term and then lower the AAV? Or are they going to give a shorter term deal and, you know, or sorry, a midterm deal, I'd say. I consider short term to be two to three years, mid to be four to five, and then longer term six plus. So um, potentially could they go midterm four to five years with a higher cap number? Um, give him that raise, but then also, you know, don't hamper themselves when he's in much older in his later thirties and he's still making a, a, a decent amount. So that is all, you know, up to the Canucks and how they're going to, what if, if it's me, I probably go the shorter term deal, um, potentially a 6.5, 6.25 around that ballpark for a four to five year deal for Bo Horvat. Um, and then, you know, he'll be, you know, in his mid thirties by then. Then you can decide, okay, well, one more maybe shorter-term deal and he plays his career out. However you want to play it out after that, we see where it goes. But immediately I see it get this deal getting done before the JT Miller deal gets done, if that does get done. And speaking of JT Miller, I was listening to Ray Ferraro today saying um, they don't have to sign JT Miller this, this offseason, which if you look back to my episode last week, I said the Canucks don't have to sign JT Miller What's he gonna do? Hold up without without withhold his services and not get paid? I don't see that happening. So the Canucks could essentially just keep JT Miller, ride it out for the year, see what happens, and then if they have playoff success and he wants to stay, he can stay. Or they use him as a rental. They don't give up any assets and he walks and you still get the his contract off the books. Uh, but you lose him for nothing, but you have him as a rental. So um, 
nice to see that me and Ray Farrar, who I believe is one of the smartest people in the hockey industry, thinking on the same wavelength, a uh, little pumping of my tires to myself. So <laughs> that's that. But um, one more break in this Monday episode, and we're going to play a game called Yay or Nay with the Canucks roster. Basically, I'm going to go through the guys on the Canucks roster and say, yay, we should keep them, or nay, get rid of them as soon as possible. So stick around for that, and that is going to be some fun. But first, I want to talk to you guys about... Yeah. Thank you for making Locked On Canucks your first listen of the day. Every day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcast services. So, guys, as I mentioned, we're going to be playing a little game called Yay or Nay. Going through the Canucks roster, breaking it down on players who I believe will be a part of the Canucks long-term plan. So let's jump right into it here. With Let's start off with the goalies. So you look at the Canucks active goalies on the roster. We know that your Demko absolutely with a bullet, yay, will be around. Yaroslav Halak. We, well, sorry, excuse me. So back with Thatcher Demko. We all know Thatcher Demko is the goalie of the future, the number one goalie with a bullet point. There's nothing more to say about that. As I just mentioned last week as well, he's proved that he is much better than Jacob Markstrom, and we made the right decision. So Thatcher Demko, yes. Yaroslav Halak, nay. I think Yaroslav Halak had a very up and down season. You know, four wins, seven losses, two um, two overtime losses. You know, his goals against average is 2.94, almost three. Um, didn't really have a successful year this so far with the Vancouver Canucks. So, nay, um, I don't see him sticking around any further, but he still has, I believe, Yaroslav Halak is still on um, a co- under contract with the Canucks. I'm just going to recheck that, excuse me, as I Google on it. But, yes, uh, Yaroslav Halak is still under I know Yaroslav Halak is a free agent starting next year. So he's got one more year left on his deal. So unless the Canucks can package him up and trade him, he will be there or they just release him on waivers. Um, but I definitely see Spencer Martin going to the next school, a yay, sticking around and being the full-time backup um, with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, so those are the three goalies. Again, there's Mikey DiPietro. I think Mikey DiPietro, um, just his size is not where it's at to be an NHL goalie. Um, so I don't see him. I just see him kind of playing in the minors. I see Spencer Martin elevating to become uh, the Canucks backup goalie. Let's go to the defense where we have Quinn Hughes. Of course, yay. He has five more years remaining on his deal. Um, and you know, he is the cornerstone of the back end for the Vancouver Canucks. All Reckman Larson, nay, but we have to be realistic 7.26 uh, for the next five years. Uh, He's going to be around. So although I don't I don't think he's going to be a long-term part, we have to just come to the facts that he is going to be here because nobody's going to take that contract. Next up, we have our man or our maligned man of Tyler Myers. Again, I don't think Tyler Myers is an answer on defense to be in your top six. The puck looks at it, looks like a grenade on a stick half the time. I'm nervous when he touches the puck. I don't think Tyler Myers should be around. He's already 32. He's going to be 34 when his deal is up. And he's still making a nice fat $6 million a year. And again, I wish the Canucks could move on from him, but who's going to take Tyler Myers at $6 million? So again, nay, but 
he has to be a yay because nobody's going to take his deal off our books. Travis Dermott, yay. I think Travis Dermott, you know, he's only 25. He's got a $1.5 million deal. I like what I saw from Travis Dermott this year. Um, I think he has potential to, he's got a good skill set, a good base to, you know, grow as his team grows. He's kind of in that right um, age group with the core. Um, so I can see Travis Dermott definitely being a part of the Canucks top six going forward for, you know, the foreseeable future. So yay to Travis Dermott. Um, then we have guys like Luke Shen. I like Luke Shen. Uh, he's got maybe 850K this year. Um, I see the Canucks re-signing him to maybe a you know, two, three-year deal. Hopefully not three-year deal. Hopefully it's a two-year deal. Um, I like what he has with Quinn Hughes. He's a good veteran presence. So um, in the short term, yay for Luke Shen. Finally, uh, Kyle Burrows and Brad Hunt. Um, they're just good depth pieces. I don't think they, they're kind of interchangeable. So I'm going to go with nay with both of those two. Um, and then we go to the forwards. So before we do the forwards, excuse me. So if you think about really only like two guys I think are worthwhile keeping, and that's Hughes and Travis Dermott, Luke Shen in the short term, I guess. So we obviously know that's where the work needs to be done in the back end for the Vancouver Canucks. But going um, up front, of course, Elias Pettersson, check, yay. We know what he is. He's got a superstar capability. You know, definitely showed that in the second half of this season. Elias Pettersson is a superstar talent. We just got to see him take that next level and become a consistent superstar. Same with Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko. Become consistent superstar players on a daily basis, a game-to-game basis during a regular season so the Canucks can make extended runs in the playoffs or even just make the playoffs in general. Bo Horvat, I just talked about his whole contract situation. So, of course, he's a yay, a great leader, 200-foot player. Bo Horvat definitely um will be a vancouver Canuck for years to come jt miller yay with a caveat um of course his whole contract situation um i would love to keep jt miller i think he's an engine he's a guy that you know plays the game the right way hard um, physical gritty sandpaper as jim rutherford has said um and he's a leader 99 points um plays center plays wing um, so JT Miller power play penalty kill wins face offs does kind of everything. So JT Miller, yay. But if he wants eight plus million for seven years, then that turns into a nay. So it all depends on the contract situation. But if I'm looking at it in a vacuum, JT Miller, of course, is a yay. Then we have Connor Garland, uh, who's still you know just signed a new deal in the offseason, who had his ups and downs, had his ups and downs, started off strong. Middle of the season was rough, finished strong. Um, I like the way Connor Garland plays. I know a lot of people are kind of like, uh, hesitant. I like the way he plays. He plays with that sandpaper game. He's a pest, an agitator, and he can put the puck in the back of the net. So um, I like Connor Garland's game. I think he's, you know, definitely a guy that Canucks can use going forward. So yay to Connor Garland. Tanner Pearson, uh, I've never been a big Tanner Pearson fan. Um, I feel like his game is too inconsistent. Um, and he just, there's times where you just don't notice him. Um, when I'm watching the games, I don't notice him enough. And if he's playing on a top six role, you have to do something where we notice you. Like there'll be games where, you know, he'll be, you know, scoring, you know, playing the penalty kill. And you say, hey, Tanner Pearson's going. And there'll be a stretch of games where like, I totally forget Tanner Pearson even plays for the Vancouver Canucks. So I'm not a big Tanner Pearson fan. I'm going to go nay. Jason Dickinson, he did not fit the role for number three center this year. I know he was injured. Uh, but he had a very rough year. And from what I saw, I just don't think Jason Dickinson's that guy. So nay. But again, he's got a $2.65 million cap hit. If you can package him up with something and move him for you know, a more reliable third-line center or another piece, then do it. But I don't see that happening. 
Um, Brock Besser, of course, uh, is an RFA, but I think, yeah, we would keep Brock Besser. You can score the puck, put the puck in the back of the net. Uh, the biggest thing is just his durability, but you don't find guys like him with that type of talent don't grow on trees, and you're not going to find that um, that easy. So um, yay to Brock Besser. It looks like he's going to sign a bridge deal, so I will keep Brock Besser. Um, Matthew Highmore, Yuho Lamiko, who just won uh, the World Championships with Finland. Um, I would say, yeah, yeah, they were they were good. Uh, again, for fourth line players, they're they're good. Uh, if you want to keep them, they're cheap. Uh, they're young. So I know Highmore is, uh, I believe, twenty six. Lumiko's twenty six as well. So you know they're in that same kind of age group with the rest of uh, the Canucks core. So if they're cheap and they play effective, then yeah, keep them. But um, I don't see, uh, yeah, but it doesn't really push the needle for me. And then, of course, you got guys like Brad Richardson, who's a UFA, probably won't be back. Alex Chieson maybe will be back. His agent said he, after the reports came out, he's going to sign in Switzerland, saying he wants to be back in Vancouver. And he actually, you know, did a lot of good. And I wouldn't mind having him back in a bottom six role with the Canucks at the right term. So, yeah, I would keep Alex Chieson because he scored some goals, you know, played in a, a good a gritty gish game. So I would definitely keep uh, Alex chase on. So that is that with our yay or nay, the Canucks roster. That's my personal opinion. And we will see what transpires this off season with Jim Rutherford and Patrick, Ovin and how they build the rest of this roster. Um, but yeah, that's it for today. Thank you for making a Canucks your first listen every day. Tomorrow we will dive into some other, different options maybe i'll even break down what brock besser's next contract might look like um but now i want you to make your second listen locked on nhl from first round matchups to each stanley cup kiss locked on nhl covers the playoffs like no other hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every monday through friday and of course it's free and available wherever you get your podcast services take care guys stay safe we will talk to you tomorrow